turn to it in your Bibles. It's the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Thanks, Brad. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. And I just want to thank Fiona for doing such a great job. Thank you. It was concise to the point. And also, I want to thank Pastor Andy. I don't know where he's at. Uh, thanks so much for your hard work for the last couple of few weeks, and it was great. And also, Pastor Bill and Unica for giving me such a crucial uh, feedback for my sermon, um, which has shaped uh, the message today. How about, without further ado, how about we pray and expand on the Word of God? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge apart from you, we can do nothing. So would you strengthen us with your spirit? Let this message be pride-humbling, repentance-prompting, mind-stretching, joy-giving, but above all, Christ-exalting. Yes, Lord, let my message be understandable to the mind, credible to heart, applicable to life. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Another day, another dollar. Another day, another dollar. Let's work hard, save much, invest well, and retire quickly to enjoy the rest of life in ease and peace. Oh, yes. Let's not forget to at least donate some of my money to the poor so that my self-worth will increase. 
Yes, not too much, just enough. This is the possession-driven life, easy life, and self-justified good life. And no hell. Isn't this the Australian dream that the media wants you to buy every day? You see, the wealth and possession itself is not a sin, as Fiona has made it very clear. But the love of the possession is. When money becomes the highest goal to enjoy your life with ease and luxury. How about this story? In North Korea, I'm from South Korea myself, so in North Korea, there are about 1,300 people who defect every year. People often escape from North Korea to China in search of a better life. As you may know, North Korea is one of the poorest countries in the world. People starving to death is very common, and the concept of human rights doesn't exist at all. Basically, it is hell on earth. For a better life and to support their family in North Korea, they make life-risking escapes to China. But however, there is an increasing number of North Koreans who become a Christian as they hear the gospel in China and decide to go back to North Korea. They give up the comfortable life that is promised before them. And one of the interviews, the lady said, when I heard the gospel, I realized that all my family will go to hell if they do not know Jesus. So I decided to go back. So the lady went back to North Korea not to share the earthly resources, but the gospel to people in North Korea. You see, after she found the true treasure that is in Jesus Christ, she gave, her, gave up her earthly possession to share the true treasure with her people. There is a great, there's likely a great danger of being captured, thrown into a concentration camp where people are treated worse than a dog. And that is true. But which life do you think is a true tra- tragedy? Which life do you think is worth living? This message will give you the answer to that question. Well, if you're taking notes to, uh, this morning, here are the main three points of the sermon. Two contrasting characters, two contrasting consequences, two contrasting responses. Now, it is interesting how Jesus starts this story. Jesus is setting a scene. So just, just imagine yourself watching a movie. As it begins, the movie sets the stage that is crucial to understand the rest of the story. And in this scene, there are two main characters, as you know. One is a rich man, the other is the poor man, Lazarus. Well, firstly, Jesus describes the lifestyle of both characters. Well, in Jesus' day, purple color was a very prestige color. Only really, really rich people could buy it. And even his underwear were of a good quality. This rich man would party luxuriously every day with all this fancy food, decoration, what have you. And also there's a clue what kind of house he lived in. In verse 20, if you see carefully, it says, at rich man's gate. As Leon Morris said, this refers to a large gate. 
like a big and luxurious gate. So just imagine a rich man living in Melbourne, uh, maybe live near the city in a mansion, like Torak, has a collection of luxurious cars that we all desire, and all the clothing. Now, there's a change of a scene. From the rich man to the the one God helps. The one God helps. You might think, what? The one God helps? But all this description about Lazarus doesn't really make sense. Let's rather say the one God abandons. Think about it. Yes, the contrast is quite shocking. When I look at Lazarus' life, the words that come into my mind is misery and suffering. Misery and suffering. There is every kind of misery that man can experience in life in these two verses. The first, physical misery. Lazarus is covered with sores. Imagine the pain and itchiness. Second, psychological misery. Lazarus was not too sure if he'll, he'll have enough food for the day. Third, place where the dogs come and licked his soul. Lastly, social misery. It is likely that Lazarus did not have a good friend. There are every element to make someone really miserable, right? And here we get the first clue about the rich man's sin. In verse 21, it says that Lazarus desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. The text does not say that Lazarus was fed with what fell from the rich man's table, but desired. With all the wealth, he refused to help the poor Lazarus who was right in front of him. Well, uh, to give point to the rich man, the text does not say he gained his wealth by corruption, nor was he a man of who indulged in immorality, nor committed a grave sin. Yet he treasured his possession and was blinded by it. He was so blinded by his love of possession, he had no room to even think about the poor Lazarus who was right in front of him. You see, he committed the sin of omission. You know, we have two different types of sin in the Bible. The sin of commission, the sin of omission. Sin of commission, sin of omission. Well, the sin of commission is where you intentionally commit sin. And sin of omission is where, when you know the right thing to do, but do not do them. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, I commit a lot of those too. How about you, my friends? Is there Lazarus in your life? Aren't we at times blinded by the love of the worldly possession, dreams, that we will willfully deny the cry of the people who are in need? And we at times ignore the cry for help because we are so captivated by the things we want to do next. The next holiday, the next house renovation, the next clothing, the next car, the next makeup, the next guitar, that's for me, the next bike, what have you. You know, people who are in need are not far off, you see, but we refuse to see them. Let us use our possession for the kingdom of God and the poor, who are not only in need of money, but also your attention and your time. So you see, when I say possession, I'm not just talking about the resources or or the wealth, but I'm also talking about 
our time, our talent that God has graciously given to us. Well, many of you know about Whole Builders Ministry in Uganda that we support. They are in great need of financial help. Well, how about asking God to open your eyes to see potential Lazarus in your life so that you may pour out your life, your resources, your possession to that one soul for God's glory, which is our, which is our calling. Now, the scene of the story changes. The rich man and Lazarus both die. Let me tell you, this is the faith of all human beings. Everyone will die one day and stand before God of justice and holiness and be judged. Sometimes we do live as if we're going to live forever. But the truth is that we're going to die one day. It can be today, it can be tomorrow, 20 years, 50 years, but we're going to die one day. Remember, this, is, this life is not a game where you get to revive multiple times. It's not a game. It's serious deal. Now, in light of that, we see two contrasting consequences of these two characters. Poor man goes to heaven. The rich man ends up in hell. And did you realize that the rich man does not have a name, but the poor man does? It's from Jesus. Well, Calvin and other scholars argue that this is actually not a parable, but a real story, because this is the only parable that Jesus uses actual name. And the structure of this story does not have that normal parable characteristics. Think about it. One of the most common objections to Christian faith, is, even among Christian community, they're challenging that doctrine. People deny hell. People say, I can love in God send people to hell. And, and forever, that doesn't make sense. Well, are you one of them? Do you have questions about hell in light of God's good character? Well, let me ask you some questions then. Church. <laughs> well, it dies. <laughs> well, what happens to you if you punch your friend? He'll punch you back. Well, what happens to you if you punch your teacher? Hopefully you don't do that. Well, you'll be expelled. Okay, what if you punch the Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese? Well, you're jailed. I'll be deported because I'm not yet Australian. <laughs> but you see, the severity of the punishment reflects the authority and the worthiness of a person you sin against. God is infinitely worthy, holy God. We often forget that. When you lose the sight of holy God, all this idea comes up, our oh, loving God, wishy-washy God, no, no, no. Our God is holy, God of justice. It may look like the story is just a great reversal story, the classic great reversal, where the rich man goes to hell and the poor man goes to heaven. And fair enough, the Abraham also says the rich man received good things in his lifetime. <laughs> just, just think about it. But wasn't Abraham himself really rich? How about King David? How about Job? Weren't they saved and were wealthy at the same time? Well, as Augustine, our early church father, pointed out, that poor Lazarus went to the side of wealthy Abraham. Think about it. It was not the amount of wealth that led the rich man to hell and sent Lazarus to heaven, vice versa. In fact, the Bible mentions that, well, poor can be as a result of one's laziness, 
as you can see in Proverbs. Once again, wealth and possession itself is not an issue. It's not simply in itself. But when you make those things as the ultimate thing, that becomes an issue. That wealth becomes unrighteous wealth, and it is a great evil in the sight of God. I look at the text very carefully. The poor man Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, which means Abraham's bosom, chest. In Jewish tradition, they knew what Jesus was talking about. It means he went to heaven. Let me ask you this question. How people in the Old Testament go to heaven? How were they saved? You're right, by believing in the Messiah who is promised. This shows that Lazarus had faith in God. So you see, it is quite clear that the rich man treasured the possession of this world, and Lazarus possessed the true treasure that is God himself. What a tremendous joy for Lazarus. God has turned his misery to joy. The everlasting joy that cannot be taken away. How about the rich man? All things that he treasured on the earth brought him despair. This is the faith of a man who serves God, who serves money and possession rather than God. This is the faith of all men who loves possession of this world than God who actually granted those gifts in the first place. How about you? How are you going with that? Are you turning God's gracious gift in your life into ultimate things? Are you? Well, my friends, would you please repent? Would you please turn with me? You are working in a great danger. You are working on a thin ice that will crack soon, and it will consume you completely. It was too late for the rich man. But we have a day called today. Today is the day of salvation. Just don't put aside your idols. Throw it, crush it into pieces. Well, uh, in verse 23, we see that the rich man could see Abraham and Lazarus. And let us look at verse 24. Well, here, rich man reacts to the hell punishment. The rich man says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Well, if you pause right there, there is a, a sign of some sort of repentance in there. Isn't it? It's somewhat repented. Or is it? The rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus to bring the drop of water to cool his tongue. Just think about it. Isn't this really shocking? The rich man still treats Lazarus as, a, as his servant. He still commands Lazarus to do things for him. His first response should have been, Father Abraham, I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry for what I've done. I'm a wretch man. I deserve this. But no. Oh, no. He's still prideful, very self-centered. Throughout the Bible, it is very clear in hell there is no true repentance. And why is hell eternal again? Because people who are in hell commit sin every day and they will extend their punishment eternally. So infinite worthiness of God, their un unrepented heart, will lead them to eternal hell punishment, which makes sense. Now, Abraham says that there is a great chasm between heaven and hell so that no one can cross over. This shows that the judgment that will happen after we die is once and for all judgment. Listen very carefully. There's no purgatory idea here 
as the Roman Catholics and other religious claim. After you die, you either go into the presence of God or outside of the presence of God. Well, again, the rich man wants to send Lazarus to one of his brothers. Well, this may sound like he cares about his brothers. But again, think about it. <laughs> the rich man is basically saying, I did not have enough warning. Again, excuses. And Abraham responds in a very kind manner. He says, your family has Moses and the prophets. Well, which refers to the Old Testament scripture. So in today's language, we can say, Abraham is saying, well, they have the Bible. And let them hear them. Well, let them hear them shows that his families were aware of the Bible, the Old Testament, which points to Christ. And the rich man's response is so shocking. And, and it was actually funny when I was studying this passage. He dares to agree, disagree with Abraham's theology. The rich man says, no. <laughs> he denies the sufficiency of God's word. He's saying, Bible is not enough. No, no. We need more than that. We need, we need, you know, we need more than that. He's saying, some, if someone was raised from the dead and be warned, they will repent. And I would have repented. You see, every false teaching begins here. The more I study church history, I can see that very clearly. When we are not satisfied with God's word, we tend to make up other stuff. I'm not against natural theology that says we can learn about God through the nature and creation. I love that too. But they have to be carefully tested and filtered through the scripture. These 66 books are sufficient for us to know the way of salvation. It is sufficient it is infallible, contains no error. Let's not question that. Now, how does Lazarus respond? Well, if I was Lazarus, I'll be pretty angry and must have said something about that. But however, silence is his response. He's completely sanctified, completely satisfied, completely glorified in God's presence. And just think about it. I think we can see not a disease itself. It's not a cause itself. Then what is the disease that is brewing underneath? Pride. Pride is the disease and the cause. As C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, oh, if you can have PowerPoint, thank you. He said, greed will certainly make a man want money for the sake of a... But up to a point... What is it that makes a man 10,000 pounds a year anxious to get 2,000 pounds a year? Is it not the greed for more pleasure? 10,000 pounds will give all the luxuries that any man can really enjoy. It is pride, the wish to be richer than some other rich man. And still more, I am a proud man than as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I. He's my rival and my enemy. When I read this, I had to say, Amen. But with a great deal of sorrow. Because you know what? I struggle with this pride issue. How about you? Then here comes the question as we close up. Then what is the cure? What is the antidote to this kind of gruesome disease that will kill us? That leads us to love the possession rather than loving the giver of the possession. 
you might be thinking, you know, this whole time, Martin, what you've said is, repent, try hard. You've got to do it. But is this it? Because the reality is, you see, Martin, I fail. You see, my strength is weak. My love towards God is often cold, and the temptation is overwhelming. Is that all you got? Yeah, I hear you. I really do. Let me remind you of a person who just did not born poor, but who decided to become poor for our sake. Yes, a person who had all the power, but decided to humble himself. He volunteered to be treated worse than this poor Lazarus. He had all the riches, but unlike the rich man, he decided to pour them out selflessly to people who don't deserve them, like you and I. Oh, yes, especially people who are outcast, sinful, broken, rejected, and poor. He said he came to the earth not to call the perfect person, but sinners to repentance. He shared the sorrow of man with great compassion. He gave his time generously to restore, heal, and save. He not only fed people with earthly bread, he did that, but gave himself as the bread of life. Yes, he not only risked his life for his people, but actually gave his life to be punished and crucified for the sins of guilty sinners like you and I. And he rose again. And he promised Christ is so majestic, so humble, yet he's so powerful, yet so meek, so rich, yet so generous, so holy, yet so merciful, so transcendental, yet so imminent. To give your whole life to a person like this. Don't you want to say with Paul, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? Like the North Korean defector who found the true treasure and decided to share this true treasure despite the suffering and sacrifice. And use all of our possession to help who are in need. Also show them the true bread, the true refuge, the true treasure. That is Jesus Christ. And if you're here sitting here today, this doesn't make sense really. You don't really believe in Jesus Christ. I just want to say you have today. Do not delay. It is a fearful thing to fall into the wrath of God. And if you die in your sins, you'll pay for your own sins. But if you're in Christ, if you come to Christ today, you will be forgiven. You'll be washed. As, um, as, we, as we close this parable series, as uh, Andy has reminded us to repent, let us turn from our sin, run to the Father, who welcomes us, let us use all our life, our possession, for God's kingdom and the poor people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. When we meditate on our sinfulness, sometimes it doesn't really make sense why you came here to die for us. Yet when we meditate on your grace, your mercy, we are just in awe. And what can we do then, Lord, to give our life as a holy living sacrifice, to use all that we have for your glory and for your kingdom, not to earn our way to you because you have already looked upon us with great favor. Would you please transform us in that way? 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.